You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to the fabulous Nick Mohammed. Nick is a, a performer who's not easy to categorise. He's kind of, he's almost like one of those sketch guys, except he's not often in a sketch show. Um, he's kind of, uh, I mean, he's definitely an actor. He's definitely a creator of stuff. He does character comedy, but all sorts of different types and, but on top of that, he also uh, is well known for pushing the envelope in, uh, in ways you would not expect the envelope to be pushed. Uh, I'll let him tell you more about that. This is the fabulous Nick Mohammed. I cannot eat a banana. We started, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, that's all right. I, uh, I, I like a sort of a smooth way in it. That every so often my guest goes, oh God, we started. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, changed my voice. I cannot eat a banana mm-hmm. without going, what is this? Oh, yeah. Because of you. You oh, have yeah. done that magical thing, which is to <laughs> add uh, value to my life. And to sort of add, add, add value to the fruit. Add, <laughs> add vocabulary, add words. Like you, you've mm. created things which live on in other people's oh. lives. Is that true? Absolutely right. Okay. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I, let's, let's start off talking about Mr. Swallow and okay. then maybe work backwards because I've got loads okay. of stuff to ask you. Okay. And the first question I want to ask you is, you know, I know you've just finished the Soho run. I have, of I have. what is now called Dracula the Musical. Yeah, just because Mr. Swallow the Musical, I think from an Edinburgh point of view, it's kind of fine because I sort of had like a bit of a following, or at least people who were kind of aware who Mr. Swallow was in Edinburgh. But in London, maybe not. And and I think from, because it's quite a long run and we just needed to set it out because it's an expensive show, yes. um, that it was just like, oh, you know, everyone's heard of Dracula. 
Yeah. Anyone who's heard of Dracula can come and see yeah, the show. Yeah, it's an idiot doing so, Dracula. Yeah, there was, I have heard stories of people who didn't know that it was a, a kind of a character doing a version of Dracula, which is sort of people who genuinely thought they were well, who came to see, see it. a serious version of either Dracula or a serious version of Dracula the musical. Oh my God. And how yeah. did, they, did you they didn't like heard it. of that after? They didn't like, they didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did hear, I did hear about it afterwards uh, from people who did really like it, but who'd said that their friends had come Yes. And, uh, and had really this not man they, is mocking the great work. <laughs> yeah, they, they just thought it was a mistake. Oh god, yeah. that's all right. I don't think that was a majority of the audience. But, no, sure, but a small handful. How was how was the run? Did you enjoy the run? Mm. Did it feel like a good fit doing it in London compared to Edinburgh? I suppose yeah. Edinburgh is very buzzy and festival. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was six months after Edinburgh, so it was a good kind of <laughs> enough time to kind of completely forget the music, the songs. The <laughs> And all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, it felt good. And we were there for four or so weeks. And so, yeah, I mean, it was more shows than Edinburgh, actually. Mm. So it did feel, I mean, it was, I won't deny, I mean, it was knackering. Because I'd not, <coughs> I'd never done a run, uh, apart from Edinburgh. And the thing is with Edinburgh, you kind of go to Edinburgh and pretty much on the whole, you only have to really do your show. And, 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 and everyone's sort of there just to do their show. And that's kind of fine because everyone's just talking about their show. And, and it's just one thing you need to worry about. And you're kind of away from home. And so you're kind of, you can slightly, not that you relax necessarily in Edinburgh, but there's a, it's, it's quite specific. You can put um, off answering an email. Oh, yes, because it's Edinburgh, Edinburgh and you've got the yeah. excuse of Edinburgh and all that kind of jazz. Um, and everyone's up there doing sort of the same thing. Whereas in London, everyone else is doing all their normal kind of industry. But, and, and, you know, I was still doing kind of, castings and writing and, and things like that mm. so which is nice obviously to be doing that and I was trying to do as much in the day but then then the show wasn't on until nine o'clock as well which is sort of later than I've usually gone on in the past but which was quite fun in a way because it made the audiences quite a bit boardier <laughs> than the normal I remember we, um, were, we were emailing to, to set this up and yeah. you, I remember being not exactly aghast but I was I kind of raised my eyebrows to go oh you, you sent me an email on the lines of well, I've just got the show in the evening, so I'm spending all my days writing. And I was oh, thinking, yeah. oh, I'd, I'd have thought I'd be spending all my days lying on a couch. Uh, going... The thing is, I set out trying to do so much. And it's the same with Edinburgh. I always think, Edinburgh in the day, once the show's running, I'll write a new script. And I never do. But I mean, I did do quite a lot this time around. But it just meant, and you know, just general kind of London living was just sort of kind of, you know, you kind of sort of still do all the normal things that you would do if you're living in London. Whereas in Edinburgh, you don't. You make allowances for the fact that you've got the show. Whereas in London, it just sort of felt like, well, everyone else is sort of just getting on with it, so you've got to kind of get on with it as well. But it was really fun, like really fun. It, it felt to me that Dracula the Musical, Mr Swallow the Musical, mm. was the best Mr Swallow show so far. Did you feel that? Uh, I think arguably, yeah, I think so. Because... It's certainly the one that's attracted the most attention and the one that's played to the largest number of people. And so I suppose... But, I mean, I think I feel that I had to do the kind of journey to get... I think if I'd have opened... If I had a debut of Miss Fallen Musical, I mean, I would have been very proud of it in many ways. But, like, I think I had to get to that point with the character because, I mean, the last few Edinburghs have all been Mr. Swallow hours anyway. But then it was obviously a big leap to then go quite big and involve a cast and you know I never even uh properly um even considered the idea of writing dialogue for Mr Swallow because yeah. when would that ever come about because it's very much a one-sided conversation with the audience and you know there might have been audience interaction in some of them but obviously it's a world away from scripting dialogue and casting those people and then 
also then putting it in the context of a all singing, all dancing musical as well. So you could do, I suddenly realised that, well, actually, I can have fun with this character in lots of different ways because there's so many different people to talk to because I can be in character as, well, as Miss Swallow, but then I can be in character as Dracula. And then even at some parts of the show, I could be in character as Mr. Swallow as Dracula and then as him doing someone else as well because he's taken on another part in the show. And then he can talk to, in all those different characters, the real audience, the kind of pretend audience and and the other cast. And, you know, they're sometimes in character as their Dracula parts and sometimes not because of the nature of the show. It sort of drops a fourth wall all the time. So I just suddenly thought, oh, well... I, I can now really free myself up. Whereas before I've been, oh, well, it's like a COD lecture and I've got my PowerPoint and there's the audience. And I really enjoyed doing those shows. And I would, you know, there was something very rewarding about doing those solo shows. And they always had quite fiddly, but big endings, like in a kind of, you know, magic-y kind of way. And, and yeah. I always liked that. I really liked that. And the musical sort of didn't really have that, but obviously it was different. It well, was big, it, big in a different way. And yes. it did have some magic bits in it, I suppose. I, I, I think you... Um, the, the, a, a principle of the Mr. Swallow show is that you mm. bite off more than you can chew. As, a, as an as an as, Well, as both. As, as, a, yeah. as a creator. Yeah. And, and the character <laughs> then shows. has, to, has yes. to... No, no, yeah, no. no, I, mean, no but I know what you mean. You yeah, set yeah. yourself some yeah. ludicrous Herculean task, yeah. like the... And I'm aware, I know it's a, a magic trick, but like the, the memory feat yeah, that you yeah. did at the end of one, because yeah. I've seen several of the hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do something which is kind of mm. seemingly noodling nonsense that doesn't go anywhere as this mm-hmm. person flails yeah. around doing a fun thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, with yeah, a variety of stuff. And then it builds up to some sort of thing where people are going... Oh wow, he's actually yeah. done a thing. And what I loved about Dracula was that I ent- I, I knew you were doing Mr. Swallow the musical. Yeah. And someone said, Oh, it's a musical of Dracula. I was like, you know, is that gonna be pre-recorded? I know yeah. you've done lots of video editing stuff, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, things yeah. like that. Um, and when I got in there and saw a set of Dracula the musical and <laughs> went, Oh my god, he's actually gonna do this, and then you actually do it. When you, was... Did you see it in Edinburgh? Yes, I did, I saw it in Edinburgh, yeah. yeah. When you first come in with bat wings on roller skates, yeah. The the or you know the, your cloak yeah, yeah, yeah. the the feeling in the room was this incredibly joyous atmosphere. You must have felt that on stage. People <laughs> going, "Oh my god, he's well, actually going to do well, it." It was quite nice. It was quite nice. Weirdly, a lot of the previous shows, I'd always uh, the the show was created for with an end point in mind. As in, like, right. so I thought, okay, I want to be able to memorize a deck of cards, or at least look like I, I you know, I, I've got an amazing moment. So I want to do that. And then the other one is I want to look as if I can do mental arithmetic. And so whatever it takes, whether I learn that or whether I kind of use some theatricality to kind of achieve it, like, I just thought, well, that's the end point. The end point's got to be this big sort of, in like, you know, the end of Darren Brown shows always, and this, and this yes. happened, and this, and, this, and you and missed this, 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 and actually this, 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 I love all that. that, I love all that, and that had always been, uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll kind of, so I'll roughly kind of create this lecture around that subject matter, but really it's just a platform for Mr. Swallow to talk nonsense for 45 minutes and then kind of end the show. <laughs> um, but with Dracula, or Mr. Swallow the Musical, it was always, the st- it was actually the start that was, it was always the first image. So the first image, the image of uh, me entering as Mr. Swallow, dressed as Dracula on roller skates, and bearing in mind, no one would, no one knew that it was about. It was even meant to be about Dracula. Yes, so absolutely. you were told. So yes, that was a deliberate yes. point of not calling the show in Edinburgh Dracula the Musical I because I, I really wanted to cling on to the notion that I want, that, I want that image. I want people to get as excited as I find because I find that so stupid. <laughs> so stupid to be at the top of a staircase as well on roller skate and you know it's really it's just stupid I mean it's just not 
there's nothing clever about it. But like I, and that for me was a start point. And the, and the title, Mr. Swallow the Musical. So when the dot had said, well, if you're going back, just think big. And so I sort of thought kind of five or six ideas, which all had very silly but big titles, um, like Mr. Swallow the Musical. Yes. And so, and that for me not necessarily for the audience, I had to then sort of write it and then the Dracula idea kind of came second after that. But for me, the idea of, ah, oh, yeah, if he's putting on a musical, well, that, that'll be fun, right? Yes. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's the joke, isn't it? The joke is the title of the show. Yeah. Mr. Swallow in a musical, that's, that's silly. So when you say the, the dot told you to think big, is that Simon? Said? Yeah, so Simon, so yeah, so we met, and we met ages ago, like we met two years ago, maybe a bit longer, like to talk about the next kind of Swallow thing. And there was a few ideas. There was, um, I mean, some of them were, they, they, I kind of ended up sort of trying to plonk them all into Dracula. Like one was to do, to do Dracula or do Jekyll and Hyde, kind of relatively, not straight, but just do the story and not have the fourth wall and not have the kind of, um, the kind of, oh, and it's rehearsal, rehearsal as well, yeah. not have that kind of noises offy kind of thing going on. And then one of them was um, like Mr. Swallow Jurassic Park, like it was, it yes. was, it was like yes. a walking with dinosaurs, kind of with like an animatronic dinosaur. Um, what was it? I can't remember some of the others, but they were quite, they were quite, they were just scaled up ideas. Um, and I knew that I was going to be in the Queen Dome, so I was, was like, well, think in the round, like think, just think. And then actually, it was just, oh well, Mr. Swallow the Musical, that's it. Because and then it was like, oh, because I, I, I think I also thought oh, a horror show would be quite good because mm. I found the idea of Mr. Swallow being scared by something himself that he's created. I found that quite funny as an idea. And then it all kind of sort of became, and we were going to maybe do the story of Jesus. And then I sort of thought Book of Mormon and all that. I just sort of okay. thought maybe. And so there, yeah, so Dracula just sort of then kind of became the thing really um, as to what it should be. Um, and yeah, and it took ages to write because I wrote a really long script first without any music well, I knew that I knew where the songs were gonna but without lyrics okay. and I mean that in itself and I did a couple of read-throughs of adult was like an hour and 20 minutes and so mm-hmm. it, it just got sort of whittled down again and again and again and then collaborated with composer Ollie Birch he's brilliant and a brilliant comic and he knew the character very well okay. um but yeah, yeah. so t- talking about the character then the genesis of Mr Swallow because I want to talk we'll spend a bit of time on this because I, w- I want to know how much of you is there in his madness uh, and, I, and I also well uh, no, let, let's, let's stay with stay with that for a moment because obviously like for me I, yeah. I feel like I've probably you know we've I've, we've worked together I've done mm. warm up on TV yeah, shows you've been in yeah, a, yeah. A, a little bit but I feel like when I look at you I yeah. sort of see Mr Swallow because yeah. I spend more time with, with him. Mr Swallow yeah uh, it's probably a question for other people isn't it it's probably a question for my friends <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, I think um, well, what, what, no, what, no I think. I think I like the idea, like I I often think a lot of, and I'm sure everyone has this, it's not like a me thing or even a comedian thing, is that people always think, oh, what's the worst thing that could happen now or be said now or what be, you know, and if you just sort of see just something funny and situate, and then for me, the character of Miss Swallow is just vocalising that. And just sort of no, so just to explain that again because that sounds fascinating. So I think, so I think in anything, just sort of thinking what would be the worst thing, or the most inappropriate, or the silliest, or just the most sort of ridiculous sort of pernickety point to just suddenly ask or to explore yes. at this point. Uh, and and I sometimes and I will think that in real life I will think sometimes 
that if I, you know, if if I'm at the supermarket and I see, I mean, I'm just, I'm not thinking of anything funny. Sure. But if I'm in the supermarket and I see sausages or something, I, I, you know, and I'll just sort of think, oh, if I just sort of pushed everything down, like, <laughs> I don't know. If I, and, like, and then in my head, it's like Mrs. Mrs. Wallow is the part of me that would do that. Like, yes, and, okay. And, and who would, or would, who would say something or, or would, or would kind of goad someone or not in a mean way, because he's not mean. Because it, it comes from a good place, I think, ultimately. So I think there's a bit, a little bit of me, but it is based on a teacher. Like, it is based on someone real. Um, and I do, and I, I mean, I've slightly exaggerated, obviously, their, their traits for, mm. you know, to make it better, I suppose, to make it more interesting. But, but, but it is, and, and it has, so it has elements of kind of what I sort of think would be the worst thing to do in a situation, which I do think is me, but just wouldn't dare say. There is something really, I was thinking about what, what are the principles childish of Mr. Well. Swallow. It's, it is childishness, yeah. but it's something, and I think that's within, there's something that is gloriously unrepressed about him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that I love when you would come on stage doing a handspring. Oh, yeah. Because why not do a handspring oh, as yeah. you jump onto the stage? The I think there's no bad, there's no bad, and I quite like the idea of being that energetic. I mean, I'm not that energetic. Yeah. Really like, but I like, you know, I like the idea of, you know, being that in your face and not backing down. I think that's the thing. And I think earlier on, you know, I was so nervous just about in character. I mean, character comedy is obviously kind of huge now, even on the circuit. You know, there's lots of character comedy gigs. Mm. Well, I think like when, so when we sort of started out, like in like 2005, there weren't like that many kind of character sketch nights. Yes. And so I was sort of doing gigs in like stand up nights and was thinking, geez, how, you know, how is this going to kind of fare? And there were, there were some places where stuff would do, like Gingrich and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, would, would, you'd kind of do better. But other times I was like petrified and I kind of almost wouldn't dare kind of prolong like a Mr. Swallow set for any longer than like, necessarily. I'd be looking for the quickest way to kind of get in and out of a character okay. um, because of the nature of the environment, maybe. But then I think as my sort of confidence grew and maybe, well, definitely with doing more Edinburgh's and things like that, I just, you know, part of the joke was almost that first Swallow Hour in 2010 it was, and Mr. Swallow had been in all the previous shows, was just like, how am I, like, how am I going to make people bear this for an hour? Yes. That became part of the joke was like, kind of, can you believe that I am gonna be on stage <laughs> being this speaking like and this squeaking squeaking you, and yeah. shouting at you and like and going nuts for an hour? And I know other comedians who came to see that show in particular who who had been fortunately had been one round by the end, which I always felt was that's the sign of a like, you know, that's good. I'd rather start off than not liking and then win the round rather than being <laughs> on board at the start. Well, definitely the other way around. <laughs> but even if they're on board at the start, I mean, because you have to really work for it then. It's quite nice to kind of think people are like, oh, okay, and then like it by the end. But I remember like, <laughs> forget, I think it was Dan Tetzel texted Margaret, his wife, uh, and, and I knew Margaret more than Dan at the time, um, and he, I think he texted us like, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to bear <laughs> another like 55 minutes of this or something. But yeah, but I like it. I like, I like that it um, tests people a bit. I but I don't think it does now. I think people kind of accept it now. And it's quite, it's become broader now. Like it's become more just, or maybe I've just grown more comfortable with sort of just being very relaxed in that character. Yes. I mean, it's interesting to try and follow how it's developed because I, I feel like, I, having seen it sort of once a year, I think I've seen all the all the Mr. Swallow hours. Yeah. Um, and I, it's quite hard for me. It's like it's like growing up with someone. You sort of forget what they were like as a child a little yeah. bit, you know. So it's try, I'm, I'd be interested in, in just hearing a bit more about 
the changes that have occurred in him. I think something that the, the Guardian interview did mm. touched on was the fact that he isn't, um, he's not defined. You can't really sum him up in a sentence. You can't say he he's, <coughs> he's this sort of person. Like his job, for example, is sort of, he's a kind of a lecturer. He does uh, yeah. I mean, why is he now? You know, why is he now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Started a musical. But it doesn't matter because he's so rich. So... Yeah, what, have, have any of those principles changed, or what? No, what I are don't the things think so. that have changed along the way. I don't. I think. I think because it is based on a truth, or at least something. As long as I know that it's based on a truth, I've always felt okay. I can justify this character in my head, and hope, and only hope that that kind of comes across to an audience. But because it is for me, it is grounded in this real person who just had this attitude problem. Um, Do they know, by the way? Have you ever? No, she. I mean, and, and I should say the reason why it's so camp is because it's based on a woman. Okay. And and because there's no innuendo in the show, there's never has been. Yeah. It's never been um, sexy. <laughs> is that the word? Uh, Maybe but, that's big, big for next year. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe you'll do a sex show. Um, but um, uh, you know, for me, it's just because I'm playing a woman, so it's just for me, it's androg- an outrageous woman at that. But it's an androgynous kind of asexual kind of creation but yeah for me she said so she uh, it was a teacher um i mean i don't i don't know if she's passed away but i don't know but so maybe she i don't think she knows at all because um she left when i was still still doing gcse but she but i'd been taught by her from like year seven and i used to like impersonate her at school and and she she used the um the lessons as just a platform to just spout outrageous views <laughs> nonsense i mean we did a um i mean and she was always going on about like like english language and we're like many we like preparing for our gcse's and she's like right i'm gonna do a debate and it's like well that, that can't that's not on the syllabus <laughs> 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 like, merchant of venice um, and and she's like right no debate and, and we did we did debates like for like, like seven or eight weeks and she was really into like she was really into capital punishment okay she really believed that people should be put to commit a crime and uh and and like the first lesson the first sort of our foray into like debating about capital punishment like we sat down and she's like right and she just handed out these A3 massive pictures of Myra Hindley's face and like we were like 14, 15 and we're like jeez and anyone who disagreed with her you know anyone who said well, I don't know if it's going to solve the problem really kind of putting people's death look at America all these kind of like very sensible <laughs> things to suggest she was like she lured them children to their death <laughs> I mean it was really dark I mean she she was ferocious I mean and like she would and you know even then when we were doing Merchant of Venice and I did a set that was about this specifically this one lesson where we were meant to be going through the play and and you know allegedly she was going to allocate parts to everyone and we'd like read it as a group and she was like right who wants to play Bassanio I'll do that then who wants to play Solari I'll do that and she didn't look up she never would look up to see if anyone had volunteered and she ended up reading the whole play like (laughs) all the parts in her own voice all the way, all the way through. With no, not changing the voices? Not changing the, the voices. Time. Yeah, she would, I think she'd maybe say when she's like, Bassanio, in sooth I know not why I am sad. Solario, why are you sad? Bassanio. And, it was just, <laughs> I mean, and that, I mean, I mean, it was just, I mean, she was, she was sort of formidable. But yeah, but I mean, that was obviously a starting point. And so for me, the kind of the attitude, the attitude as if like, I mean, I feel that he kind of always acts as if he's just been heckled. He's always got this kind of like, this, what? Like, it's this kind of, this is incredulity of like, I can't believe what you've just said to me. Of yes. Kind of, even a really everyday, normal thing that someone says, like, why are you asking me that? Like, what? He's found some really 
th- a thing that's for him to be pedantic about. It's, it's like everyone's having a go at him, but no yes. one is. Yes. He's having a go at everyone and so, else. Hence the frustration with everyday things. Oh, like yeah. Bananas, or like the concept of infinity. You're oh, yeah. It pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, he just doesn't get anything. And it's that famous kind of thing of that, you know, that hopefully, you know, if I got a TV show and swallow, like, hopefully it would just fall into that thing of it's the character who wants to be in control or wants to be in a position of responsibility, which ha- th- that's always been a running theme. That he's yes. always been in a position of somewhat more powerful or authoritarian, but he's just rubbish at it. He's absolutely, he's just so bad at it. And that's just, the, that is the base joke is that he wants this kind of power control, but he's just, he's rubbish. So this is Nick. He's just so much fun to talk to. Amazing to watch. Really, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I completely got across in this episode just how knocked out I am. If you want to see the sort of stuff he does, and this is, I think this is a good example because it is by no means his slickest or most tailored work. He's done some brilliant, you know, kind of mime accents and music in the past with real sort of finesse and precision. But uh, quite separate to that, have a look for Nick Mohammed Jurassic Park on YouTube. Uh, in which he sings his version of the words to the Jurassic Park theme tune. I believe he's in character at the time as Mr. Swallow. And uh, it, I mean, it's just, it's a sort of a no budget filmed on his phone sort of affair. But it just makes me cry with laughter. Uh, you can follow Nick on at Nick Mohammed on Twitter. And uh, he doesn't appear to have a website, but uh, keep an eye on what he's up to on YouTube. There's loads of fun things to see there. And do do follow me on Twitter. His Twitter feed is very funny. Couple of uh, quick things. This is an email from a listener, which I felt I had to read you. I'm very proud of this. He's uh, Ian Seaburn. says, Stuart, I just wanted to say a massive thank you. Please accept this donation of the entire fee for my second ever paid gig. Ian, thanks so much, man. Uh, He says, my first fee went on beer and a celebratory late night service station pasty. You'll regret that. (laughs) I mean, if ever there was a comedian that managed not to buy any pasties, I'd like to meet them. Uh, He says, but I promised myself I'd donate as soon as the paid booking started coming in. Inspired by the podcast, I started gigging 18 months ago. I've racked up around 150 gigs around the country and made some great friends. The insight and advice I've gleaned from the podcast has been invaluable. I've listened to every episode most more than once. Saw a couple of the live records in Edinburgh. Also saw your solo show, which my wife and I loved. Looking forward to your new show this year. Thanks again, you absolute legend. Ian, I think you're an absolute legend. You are one of my... I mean, I I know I've been keeping a private running tally of people who've emailed me and said that they started at least in part because of this show. Uh, I know there's lots of newer acts listening to this and, and more experienced acts as well. I know people find it inspiring in a way that I am hugely proud of. And, and thank you if you're one of those people. And I, I and also you're welcome. It makes me very happy to do this show, uh, as you know. But I do have a small running tally of people who I think were sort of started at zero and then they heard the podcast and went, I'm going to bloody do it. And uh, if you are one of them, then feel free to email me as well. Let me know how you're getting on. I'm in touch with some of you, I know. But thank you so much to Ian. I really appreciate that. You too, whoever you are, whether you're an actor or not, you can donate to the podcast. Go to uh, comedianscomedian.com and click on the donate button. The donate button on my exciting new website currently being put to me, uh, put together for me by um, a kind of technical polymath 
James Hingley. Uh, he's working on a, a new website for me, which is going to have all sorts of uh, engaging features. So I look forward to, to launching that soon. Uh, the donate button, I promise, will be nice and big for those of you that struggle finding it. Uh, if you'd like to do a regular payment, please don't tick the regular payment box. I'm having a, a very kind listener look through that at the moment. He's, he suspects he might know why it's going wrong, and he's having a little a tester of that. So uh, thanks to him. Uh, if you would like to make a recurring payment, you can do that via patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, uh, which is a system like, uh, there was one a few years ago called Flatter, where you could basically, you sign up to the system and then anything you like that's subscribed to, to Patreon, you can just, with one click, you can add a small monthly donation. So uh, feel free to do that, or you can give us a one-off donation of 20 quid, a pound a show, or whatever you think is 10% higher than reasonable. And um, thank you to everyone that's done that. And a final uh, a final plug now with this one for the um, the Nina Conti podcast coming up at Soho Theatre on the 5th of May at 9.30pm. If you go to sohotheatre.com or click on the link at comedianscomedian.com, remember to enter the, the discount code FAFF, F-A-F-F, possibly it has to be in capitals, but give it a try either way. Um, and uh, you can get 25% off tickets. I have just been watching uh, Nina Conti's documentary uh, about Ken Campbell. What's it called? I've... Oh, no, it's got a great title, and I've put it down somewhere in my flat, and I can't find it. Search for uh, the Nina Conti Ken Campbell documentary, all about uh, how she became a ventriloquist and her search to say goodbye to uh, her mentor and former lover, uh, Ken Campbell, who was one of the most outrageously invigorating theatrical and comic voices uh, that we've ever had. So uh, do some research there by way of... Um, uh, of homework uh, prior to the Nina Conti episode. The, the documentary just blew me away and it perfectly uses her husband, comedian Stan Stanley, and, and sort of bookending it in a way that I thought was really sweet. Can't wait to talk to her more about that. And also a particular scene in which one of her puppets is sort of really against her. I think she's a bit drunk and she's trying to find the voice of this puppet that ends up being a very negative, self-loathing kind of a voice. It's basically absolutely right for the Comedians Comedian podcast. So um, uh, come and see her at Soho Theatre on the 5th of May. Uh, I'm off to Tallinn next week and then the Secret Welsh Festival after that. Uh, Tallinn, I'll be interviewing Mitch Benn, brilliant comedian, uh, musical guy you'll know from, uh, from The Now Show and from Radio 4. Uh, and Mark Watson will be my guest at the Secret Welsh Festival, and then the Midnight Beast. I've just been uh, listening to their albums as well in the car in preparation of my interview with them that is coming up soon. That's all of the bluster for now. Uh, let's get back to the wonderful Nick Mohammed. <laughs> It seems to me that you're um, that you have happened upon several kind of tenants of clowning, like having right. problems with objects, having problems yeah. with things. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. the, did you ever? Did you ever? Are these all things you've stumbled on yourself? I think yeah, I think so. Because I never really. I mean, I did magic as a kid, um, and and for a while, you know, professionally up until quite well, relatively recently, to be honest. But um, oh, were you a gigging magician? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all what was your best it. trick as a gigging magician? Oh, God knows. What was your closing? Cards, I suppose. It was always cards. Well, I did like... Um, you know, the kind of card memory stuff kind of came a little bit through that. You know, I did sort of kind of cardy, mentalism-y kind of things. Okay. Um, yeah, mainly kind of close-ups. So I did a lot of kind of like weddings and hotels and that kind of okay. thing. And I can't, to be honest, I sort of stopped because I just sort of didn't really... <laughs> I, just thought, I don't know. I just sort of thought I don't. I don't think I was very good at it. Really, I mean, I think I was fine at it. But there's this thing with magicians, and I count myself as one of these people who kind of thought this certainly at the time was that you kind of approach it with, oh, if your tricks worked, 
then your sort of job is done. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I don't okay. think that is... I think now, having sort of acted a bit more and properly gigged in a live yes. environment doing comedy and stuff, is that it's not... That's not... You can't just do that because you're sort of 60% of the way, really. And actually, if, if that... I mean, presentation is... Every, you know everything so I so I gigged a lot so I kind of knew I knew like some elements of kind of performing but it wasn't that funny and I never went to you know drama school or studied drama or anything like that mm. so I think I have slightly stumbled across them um just from dicking around <laughs> I think um and what, watching loads of stuff that I then find funny and that I think oh I want to do that or yes. do my version of that I suppose yes yeah. Um, before we get into uh, writing the stuff, just a sort of final question about Dracula, really, which I was thinking about opening with, but I didn't want to, didn't want to broadside you. Yeah. I look back at uh, comedy.co.uk, which aggregates all the reviews, oh. and you got fours across the board. Yes. And you didn't get a five. No. Like, a, I don't think I ever have. A, how is that possible, <laughs> given how incredibly good that show was? And B, oh, well, did, you, you, did you notice, did you reflect on it, did that form, is that in no, your sphere of consciousness during your time? I mean, it's not, I, the thing is, I'm very, very, because uh, I used to do all my own, pre- I had a really horrid experience with the PR, who I won't mention, just for professional sake, but like, I thought she was dreadful, and for me, she epitomised that kind of, the type of person that you sometimes get in Edinburgh who sort of feeds off people who are trying to do something creatively interesting and there's maybe a good handful of people who are there just to kind of feed off that and make a lot of noise and mm-hmm. charge you lots of money and mm-hmm. not really do a job. Is that fair to say that? I think it's fair. It's hardly saying something new, is it? Um, but uh, so since then, uh, which is back in 2000, whenever, um, I then did my press. So I, I always had a very kind of good relationship because I just used to contact them myself. Yes. And um, only really when <coughs> I started going with the dot did they obviously then kind of handle it. So I kind of had a good relationship and I just, and I sort of figured, well, if I'm doing this, I kind of, and I sort of figured also that no one knows my show kind of better than me. And I, and I hope that people like it. And if they don't, I'll kind of think, well, there's probably something, there might be something fair in what they say, but I would just read everything. I don't, I kind of just didn't mind. And, you know, fortunately, like Touchwood presses on the whole, something like last few years has been, good or kind of getting better and I just sort of think well that's fine that's kind of all right and if I got a bad review I just sort of I think well it's fine I you know you'd you'd think about it and then you'd do your next gig and if that had gone well you'd forget about it I I always and I would never shut I always would want to know I mean I was never actually the dot are really good about not telling you when press are in because they would never want me to know Mm. but I never minded and you come to recognize these people and what they look like because you have correspondence with them and sure. they're on panels for this, that and the other. And so you just, you end up knowing all this stuff anyway. And I, I just don't mind. And I sort of figure, well, I put loads of work into a show. I want to know what people, I kind of want to know yeah, what yeah, people yeah. think. And there are a lot of brilliant reviewers, brilliant reviewers who work really hard, who've reviewed me loads in the past. And I want them, I want to know what they think of the next Swallow thing. Do you, do you, you consider them in terms of thinking... I want to surprise my audience. I want to be better than I was last year. Do yeah, you think definitely. I really want to bring something that definitely. Journalist X has never seen before? Uh, not necessarily journal. no, definitely audiences. I don't necessarily mm. work... And, and I think, as a byproduct of that, I would definitely think, oh, and so I hope the kind of critics will pick up on that or people who've seen me before, industry people or whatever. But uh, I always aim to surprise. Always, always have always set out to kind of... not Even if it's not, say, raising the bar, but changing the bar, just completely changing... And that helps that Mr. Swallow is is so vague in terms of what he what he does or what he's meant to do because I can just change it 
every time and it and it's and 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 i think i used to worry about is that does that matter does it matter that he's not got a consistent backstory i mean he does have a slightly consistent backstory but not like a you know not in the way of say Al he's Murray. got a far more you know, consistent there's not, there's, flavor than, than yeah the <coughs> i think tone wise it's consistent but i think um you know the whole format of a show change you know can change and that's that's nice but yeah i never i've always engaged with press and 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 think that you gotta it just comes with the job and i just don't i don't really have opinions on people who don't i mean i know a lot of people who don't like knowing when press are in or what press say and i just sort of think well i just think if i've invested a year and a half in making something as good as i think it can be mm. then i kind of want to know if i've really <laughs> misjudged it i suppose and on the whole but and then the five star thing definitely i don't worry about that definitely i mean i i would I, obviously you kind of in a, an ideal world, you think, oh, yeah, five would get the extra kind of whatever on the publicity or you'd kind of sell X many more tickets. Maybe, would you? I don't know. It also has, you know, I've talked to other comics who said sometimes, you know, you get you get five stars. And we sort of even saw it with this show in that you get a really good review in a particular paper and then your audience the next few days just changes completely because they're, they're because they're there because they've read a good review they? and they're there to be like, yeah they're there to kind of but well, i'm sure they're there to enjoy themselves but they're there that they haven't they haven't necessarily they've just come for slightly different reasons i think and uh and they want to be impressed in maybe different ways or they're looking for certain different maybe different things and i don't know it's just it just changes things a little bit and i think having a five-star review or a four-star review maybe that effect is exaggerated mm. i wouldn't know because i've not got five. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, but um i honestly have never ever worried about when you come to write the show, are you? Is there another? Have you got ideas for the next Mister Swallow show? I do, yeah, yeah. But it's not happening until twenty sixteen. Okay. Yeah. But when you come to write that, will mm. you be sitting down at a desk and writing it? Will you be scribbling notes? And well, I'm already scribbling stage? notes now. Yes, not this, right is, now. this is what you've been writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've already started. So I actually started making notes in September after it because I always feel that that's always a good point to just splurge a load of I, and they're just one sentence you know they're sentence ideas because because you you get i don't know about you i mean i try and see as much stuff as i can i don't usually see that tons but i try and really seek out the stuff that i know that i'm probably going to really like or i've heard that this is really creatively interesting or and and i always feel that that kind of stuff is useful for kind of thinking oh yeah oh, what if I did this? What if, not to take someone's idea, but to, <laughs> but to kind of, you get an enjoyment out of seeing something new yes. or some, a new idea and that kind of get, and, and after Edinburgh, especially when you've been doing the same show again and again and again, you kind of crave something. It's worth hanging on to that post-Edinburgh momentum. You know, yeah. You've and just seen all the stuff. Yeah, and you've, got, and, and you've got a taste for trying, you know, especially taking a character that's maybe done well and then thinking, oh, well, maybe I could. So I do have an idea. I can just say what it is. I mean, it's it's Santa Swallow. It's... it's um. Mr. Swallow as Santa Claus. So okay. it's kind of a mashup of a kind of Mr. Swallow as Santa, Mr. Goldsmith as the elf, um, and a kind of a Christmas carol. It's kind of got elements of Ghost of Christmas Past and all that, and the Nativity, sort of all into one. Okay. So that's the premise of the show. But there's no kind of... So it's an out-and-out musical as well. It's Christmas. So it's a okay. Christmas musical, which ideally do in Edinburgh, summer 2016. Just because summer, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's Edinburgh, but, um, and then do Christmas 2016. So okay. Big theatre in London, ideally. Okay. So big kind of Christmassy panto East. Now I'm so cynical that w- w- one of the first thoughts I had there was that's smart Christmas money spinner. If you've got a ah! Christmas themed show, well, no, but for me, well, again, I've got a long list of different ideas, and at the moment, it's just that's the one that's kind of coming out top, and it might change. Okay. But at the moment, it feels like 
And weirdly, I, I, I had to chat. When I first fought, and it was back in September, I like phoned Tim Key immediately because yes. obviously he's doing Slut Cracker. Oh, yes, yes. It's not Slut Cracker, Jesus. Uh, he's Farm doing Slutmus. Yes. Um, oh, which he's done a couple of shows, and I just wanted to check that we... Uh, weren't treading on any similar territory and he was like oh geez and he was basically saying that he can't keep he can't have dibs on Christmas <laughs> which is fair enough I suppose but that, no, that's, that but sounds obviously, like a Christmas single yeah can't exactly have yeah, can't have dibs on Christmas <laughs> and also I'm sure that uh, Tim's approach to Christmas and Mr Swallows are very, very yes absolutely in terms of everything really so you're you're starting scribbling notes already so I'm writing yeah and that takes the form of scene ideas song ideas uh, I've even written bits of dialogue already told the dot and the director and the composer, you know, about it. So, so you know, probably keep the same kind of core feel about it. I mean, I just sort of figure I, I want, you know, having written a musical and I'd never done that before, I really enjoyed it. And I, and, and Dracula was good, was really good. And, but now I, always, I, I definitely think, oh, there's a weakness, there's a weakness, there's a weak spot there or there's a bit there. Well, I was going to ask. tune or I would do better. And this idea allows me to do that. So I kind of definitely think... That. I was going to ask something I'd like to, to ask my guests is if you, we talked about reviews and your confidence in yourself mm. means that you don't need to be beholden to them. If you were to review yourself, oh. if you were to review Dracula the Musical <coughs> now... I what? would give it four stars. <laughs> <laughs> I would. What, uh, I would yeah. Because I spent... Like, cause, cause every, so, I mean, it's hardly me either. I mean, it was an ensemble. Like, you know, there was a five-piece band who were incredible. It's an amazing director. There's an amazing cast. There's an amazing like designer, lighting designer, director, composer. I mean, if you were to review your process and uh, your involvement in it, if you were to go, okay, how could I? What were there things that you thought? I there was a weak spot there. There was a weak spot in the process. Were there things that you thought uh, this isn't my greatest strength? I've got to work on that next time. Um, I would probably have put more Dracula story in it because I think I sort of because because my natural instinct certainly is thinking a swallow was to undermine like always undermine that's his yes. thing he'll undermine so so you know Dracula's on roller skates and he's like he can't he, he can't sing his song properly or he's worried about this that, you know it's always to kind of take the premise and undermine it whereas actually I think you and I think we got there but maybe we could have just gone a, a, a one star further <laughs> was, was I supposed to uh to take to to, to, to examine a bit of the story and do it for real. But it's still comically, but but uh, not undermine as much and, and, and come up with a kind of, maybe another ensemble number kind of would have helped that. Um, and, you know, we even considered it. There was talk of potentially taking the show uh, to a different theatre and that maybe we would have to do two acts, maybe. And, like, would I consider doing, a, like, a, you know, an hour sort of 20 minute show and doing it and um and you know maybe i might even do that for the christmas one because that for me opens up things as if you're playing with two halves what can happen Absolutely, in the interval yes. what could have happened at that point so there are there are just different things that i think i'm thinking ah well yeah you could do that and then you could do that and and you know trying to pack all that trying to do the story of dracula and everything else in 55 minutes is is tough um and i think that we could have, or I could have maybe afforded with the writing to have just embraced Dracula a little bit more. Because there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of undermining in it. There was, yes. you know, there was a lot of kind of stuff that wasn't Dracula. There's probably 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you seem uh, to have, you seem to have a really good instinct for comic opportunity. 
I think you've got a really good instinct for where things can go wrong and you know for, and you, you're kind of like that and it does um regular listeners to the show will be annoyed with me constantly mentioning clowning but it reminds me of a, a clowning exercise I did with a, a teacher called Fraser Hooper a brilliant right. performer where he would say okay you five people get together and yeah. you've got two minutes put together Little Red Riding Hood yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then they'd show it and it would be completely unready and yeah. frantic yeah. and you'd go right everything that went wrong yeah. now you've got ten minutes to make all of those problems worse uh, and that okay. seems like yeah. you're, you're kind of yeah. absolutely instinctively yeah, going I think so. yeah I suppose that is a little bit of that um yeah, it, I suppose it comes with like thinking of well, what's the worst thing to kind of happen now? And like in my like early script drafts, you know, before there was a budget in place, it's like things like the set falls on top of someone, or there's an explosion at the wrong point, or you know, there's there's it's it was always kind of taking okay, so this song falls apart, but then how does that song fall apart? Is it on? Is it because he's on roller skates and he can't actually skate, or he doesn't know where to stand, or he's not on his spotlight, or the pyrotechnic's gone off at the wrong point so something's broken that is meant to be used in the next scene you know it's kind of and then thinking of that cumulatively I suppose which is maybe what you're saying is that then how does that impact on things that then happen later like I love that I love I I mean I think it's it's just I suppose just farcical isn't it it's when you know there is you know something goes wrong and then because of that something goes wrong again and then it just builds and builds and so it's just all getting worse and worse and worse i love that like i love that and what, kind of as a as a thing i would i would laugh at that that's what yes. that's what makes me laugh what what decisions did you make can you give us an example of something that you cut from the show or a joke that didn't work or a moment that, yeah. that wasn't strong enough in your... um i mean uh yeah i suppose there was a whole <laughs> jesus tons of <laughs> so much to make the show give us a hundred examples yeah. <laughs> list the top 500 um i th- there was a bit where um i got an audio it was a, there was a whole in a really early draft there was this conceit that there is another actor in it who's trains delayed so he's not here and um we keep on trying to manage between us with that person doing their part but then there's one scene where they absolutely have to be there and I kind of get an audience member out and kind of do like an acting lesson with them to train them up to sort of do this okay. bit. And then the kind of then joke is actually all they have to just say is no at the end of the scene. And 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 that was it. And it was just it was just a thing. It was it was I think it was one of those things where I thought, okay, so I'm gonna do it. So what are the things that I could do in this show? And it was one of the like list of things that I could do. And so I wrote it up and sort of trialed it kind of like in the read throughs and stuff. And I think it might have even done it in a few of the early rehearsals, but it just went because it didn't really it would have been fine. It would have worked, I think, and it's audience participation on the whole that kind of works with Mr. Swallow. You know, it's a different relationship to the, some of the others mm-hmm. that's going on. So it would have added in a weird way, but like from a you know, from a well, how efficient is it in terms of laughs and story and you know, suddenly your fifty five minutes just goes and you know, because we had so many songs in the show as well. So you know, that that was already eating 20 minutes into the show. I think in uh, something like 114 episodes, I think, and I may be wrong, yeah. I think you're the only person I've spoken to who's used the word efficient in relation, and I don't mean it in a negative way at all, oh, but yeah, I... It's quite clinical, isn't it? Well, I think it is typical of your... Uh, your approach because it, you, there's a certain does it make the boat go faster kind of feel to what you're describing. You've got this mammoth task, yeah. And rather than 
I mean, I, I, I know I don't do this anymore, but I'm sure with some of my shows, part of the instinct in part of the year has been, Christ, I've got to fill an hour. And I suppose if you're at a stage now where you're able to write with such confidence about what can work... And and, and it's also because I now take two years to write a show. Whereas yes. before, when you're starting out, you've got to go every year, or you, you, you're at least kind of encouraged to go every year, and there's that kind of etiquette. Um, and yeah, it's trickier. Well, well, it's just, you know, yeah, there is that element of like, sugar, I've got to... You know, I've got to find, I've got to find an hour's worth of material, and you know, you're kind of maybe cobbling together a little bit more. But I think, yeah, now just because maybe the ideas are a bit bigger or the conceits, are, you know, they're always quite broad. So there's always a lot of areas that I could have kind of could go into, and because Mr. Swallow is easily distracted as well, you know, he he can sort of talk about anything, mm. <laughs> even within the conceit of a particular subject matter or something like that. So. uh I I think there's always part of me, certainly since maybe because Stefan Golajewski, uh, who writes him and her and is brilliant and used to be in Cowards and all that, he so he directed the Edinburgh shows from 2007, not not the most recent one, um, but he he really kind of taught me to I think be very. And like, I think he, I mean, he's so efficient. I mean, he's every, I mean, he would go through a script at Endem and would make changes until the last day. And to be fair, I, I mean, I don't do it, but even on, you know, the last week of the musical, I was sending around, not notes, but I was kind of making little tweaks here and there okay. just to certain things because I sort of think, you know, it is, it's just a constant fine tuning process. I mean, anyone who edits there, even if you're doing a very broad brushstrokes, anyone who thinks that, oh, that joke don't work or so, I might lose it or improve it or so, you know, that's, that's just being efficient, really. But I mean, going into detail, I suppose, I mean, ultimately, I think in Edinburgh, especially, maybe London as well, like value for money is so important. Like I, I mean, our, our ticket prices in London were 20 quid at a weekend. And I was like, it's a lot, you know, that's a lot mm-hmm. for an hour. Um, and, you know, that was that was the theatre's ticket price. That, you know, that there was a, you could see a stand-up for that price as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not... But then for me, I was like, well, you know, would I sort of feel... Would I kind of get my value for money? And it wasn't that much in, in Edinburgh. But I just think that there's so many comics to choose from now, which is a great thing in lots of respects. Um, there's so much competition and good competition in Edinburgh and the like. I just sort of think you've got to you got to deliver and do something, or at least I feel that I want, I want an audience to be kind of like, I can't, I've just sat there for an hour and, 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 and that was excited. Like I felt excited and, and I felt that I did get value for money. Cause, cause I've definitely sat in shows where I've sort of thought, yeah, well, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. But like, is it really like, I don't know. I, I just get excited when I see, and it's often not always comedy, but well, when you see a good comedy show, you're just like, geez, I mean, that's just stonking. But if I see like Darren Brown's show or even like Phantom of the Opera, I mean, I know obviously it's a very different <laughs> kind of show or Torval and Dean perform. You just think there's, there's such a kind of, there's so much thought gone in and they just, you know, it's just a thing of um, really de- like deliver, like promise the premise, like really deliver on what you are claiming to do. Did you say promise the premise? I think so. Is that a phrase? I know. Like I think a producer might have said it to me once. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, you told me not to, but I do. I'm worried and I sound pretentious now. But it is just that thing of like kind of really wanting to give, like, give as much. You've got an hour to really showcase what you've been working on in a year, two years, you know. Yeah. I just sort of think you've got to like, it's got to be top notch. And of course, you're going to have 
days where you kind of maybe your performance level is not up or you kind of you might make a mistake or you fluff a line or you know you sort of think a certain section needs tweaking but that's fine because that's all part of it but I just think you've got to you know the default performance and show has got to be up there because otherwise no one's going to pay attention I just think I think that's true I don't know I think you're, um, I, what, from what little I know of your background, and I know you're... Uh, Very violent. Although, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know uniquely, I think I've heard along the way, you you got into Cambridge and turned it down in favour of Durham. Uh, Oxford. Is that right? Oxford. Uh, yeah, oh, Oxford. Okay. And then did PhD, okay, or started doing PhD at Cambridge, which I then left to do yeah. <laughs> really, comedy. Well, I mean, really, both hands, two fingers to Oxford. <laughs> but you're... Um, you are the other way you're, you're frequently described, and I know you write your press releases, so mm. maybe this is a web of lies. I'm always yeah, interested yeah. in the way people see information yeah, about yeah. themselves. But you were studying, you're, you're a trained geophysicist, yeah, yeah. and you play the violin, and you were a magician, and yeah. you're what people call a polymath, which I think. Yeah, I, I didn't understand. write that press release, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, <coughs> but you, you, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, you're a very intelligent guy. You probably, like, if I found out you could speak five languages, I wouldn't I bat an eyelid. I can't like, speak any of English, <laughs> honest, honest. But I wondered whether, well, it's a two, two parts, really. Do you, like, Amongst comics, you're a polymath. Amongst geophysicists, are you a sort of layabout? Like, do you, is, um, is, is there kind of a... Is there, is there any thought in your head along the lines of, well, I'm, you know, co- comedy's sort of a bit of a dos, really, in terms of the I use mean, of my it, talents? It is... Uh, what well, do I think that? No, no, oh, yeah, no oh. in, t- in terms of your, your use of your intelligence. Like, you're obviously an incredibly oh, smart guy. You're, <laughs> well, you're, I don't... I, honestly, I don't think I'm that smart. Like, I kind of, you know... I, I didn't get I'll, I'll ask some of my other geophysicians. Well, yeah. Uh, geophysicians but, you know, it's like, you know, the, 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 I think there are a lot of clever people out there doing lots of clever jobs. And, you know, you can be a clever comedian. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a clever comedian, but, you know, you can be a clever comedian. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I I think that, like, my friends who've, like, sort of sort of stuck with me through, throughout, I think that they would just say, oh, it's just me just sort of doing my thing but in a just different subject area i think because i sort of you know i approached geophysics kind of quite okay right come on let's get this done <laughs> let's do it you know i was on you know my phd or you know what i started it was all based you know it was all in the faroe islands and so I, you know i had to go there for like months at a time and just dig holes i mean it was, <laughs> <laughs> so i just had to approach that in a way of like all right this is going to be hard work come on let's sort of get to it and i kind of I like that in a way. I like chal- I like sort of the challenge of it. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, doing comedy is so much more of a doss than digging holes. Uh, but it comes obviously with its own sort of fears and challenges and all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, I think that was, there was maybe an element like my mum and dad were kind of a little bit like, oh, so you're going to leave a PhD in Cambridge to do comedy. So how's that going to work out? I kind of did, I suppose, just have this sort of blind optimism which such wood is sort of working out at the moment. But, you know, maybe it could all change. I don't know. What, uh, when you, yeah, you, I don't know how many of these shows you've heard, but you'll, 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 people at home will be going, yeah. he's mentioned fears, Stu's going in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what, what kind of things are you struggling with? As someone who is uh, uh, talented, skilled, successful, you've got relationships with the press, you've gone up and smashed Edinburgh, you've got, I mean, you've got loads of other um, <coughs> exciting work going on at the moment which Thank we'll talk you. about in a moment Thank but uh, and you seem ah oh, happy you know what I mean you're, you're a happily married guy with this yeah. fabulous wedding ring on. my ring yeah, lovely 
Um, what kinds of challenges are you presented with? Do you have kind of, um, uh, do you notice any particular sorts of anxieties cropping up? Is there, are there um, one of weak spots? The, 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 <laughs> if, if, if I was trying to kill you, where would I go where first? Would you go first? <laughs> well, de- definitely when I've got something that I know is going to be showcased. So really the only kind of real example, tangible example, is is things like Edinburgh. So, so for example, if I do another Mr. Swallow musical, I think, touch wood, a lot of people will come and want to see a show as good as Dracula. And why not? I would if I'd seen something that was really good and then went to their second show. I'd want to be more impressed, if not as pleased with my first experience. So not delivering has always scared me. The idea of going up to Edinburgh, like successively and tailing off or, 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 or genuinely just not delivering at all and going downhill, I would, I, I would hate that. I'd hate to think that I'd wasted a long time uh, and people like, yeah, they're sort of past it now, or they've just, yeah, they, it was better back then. I, I, I don't like that. I, I, that, that scares what, what me. Would, what and, would and, that mean to you? Why does that scare you? Uh, well, I just suppose it would, it would make me think that I've just not done my job. It'd just make me think that I'm not doing well at my job. Because even if, and I don't even mean doing well in terms of like, getting TV work or I mean sort of doing well from a financial point of view but I just mean kind of creatively sort of doing well like creatively coming up with something that I'm really proud of and that I've got enough of a thing whether it's kind of my peers saying that they enjoy it or it doing well and say Edinburgh or critically or something like that or, or my genuine fulfillment of doing a show and seeing it from kind of an idea to completion and doing a, a long run somewhere or something like that like that I find deeply deeply fulfilling from a life point of view and I think that what I meant by digging holes in the Faroe Islands is that if that was my job, you know, that, that, you know, I'd get a fulfillment of completing a task. I think, you know, not being able to kind of like sort of deliver in terms of what I've kind of set out to do, I'd find that just a bit disappointing. I think I'd just be a bit disappointed. And because of the nature of this work, you, if it's a show, then everyone sees that disappointment. You can't hide. And if it's your baby, if it's your character, your premise, your scripts, your you know, you're the main part in it, then you can't really blame anyone. <laughs> you can't blame anyone else. And so I think I would, I'd just be disappointed, I think. And and I, I suppose I fear that feeling of like thinking, that was a bit of a sorry month, wasn't it? And I've kind of, I've had that maybe earlier on, like a, a little bit. I mean, like Touchwood, I've never kind of, I've always then felt the desire to keep going. So it, it's always, there's always been enough of a good thing of it to make me think, no, this is going in the right direction. Keep going sort of trust your instincts. But if I realised my instincts were wrong, I suppose, I suppose that's what I'm saying. If I realised I just sort of messed it all up, I think that I would worry about that. Just an observation. You Four times in the last half an hour, you've said touch wood and physically touched the table uh, yeah. in front of you, yeah. which to me, were I a sort of, you know, deductive type yeah, yeah, of person, yeah. I would suggest that, like, you feel like you don't want the balloon to burst somehow. I just feel very lucky. I feel like genuinely quite... You know, things, it's just, it's like, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm really, I love it. Like, I love it so much. Like, I adore it. And I am, because, I think partly because I I never set out to be a comedian at all. And until recently, you know, well, relatively recently, but like doing the Cambridge postgrad thing and, and like, you know, I was definitely going in such a different direction. And it would have been fine, I'm sure it would have. And I worked at Morgan Stanley after that for a bit. And that would have been fine. And I made some good friends from that. But ultimately, you know, I knew and I was desperately like thinking, oh, I 
it'd be really good if I could just not be that and I could just be a working comedian who was pleased and I could earn a living from that. That that and you know, in a way I sort of I can you know, I know how close it could be to like it'd be like, nah, sorry, your script's not get picked up and no, you didn't get that casting and yeah, you can do your Edinburgh show, but is have you run out of ideas? Is this the end? You know, I'm I'm not that pessimistic as a person generally, and I don't think that about my career at the moment or even a few years ago you know I've always hoped that it's going in the right direction but uh you know you see it all around you and even with comedian friends when things don't work out and or even friends who aren't working in comedy but maybe doing something creative and it's their dream and it's their absolute passion and and it just can't they just can't sustain it you know they can't you know it's just even financially it's not tenable or practically you know with a family or whatever you know those things just don't work out and you know I would you know, I do count myself very, very lucky at the moment that I'm managing to make a kind of a living out of it and in, and enjoying it. And, um, and you know, it kind of feeds back into itself because then that, you know, buys me time to write something new, you know, that I can then creatively then feel fulfilled. So it's kind of, I do feel that it is a kind of a positive feedback thing. And I would hate, you know, I would be scared if that kind of just got so disrupted that I couldn't do that. I would feel a bit, I'd be disappointed. Do you, do you have any... Um particular strategies for dealing with when the writing is difficult or when the work is difficult you know there's things like people say you know don't get it right get it written you know it's kind of like ways of mentoring yourself um, almost to to get yourself over times of block or yeah i don't frustration i was going to touch wood again but i just won't because i'm not that superstitious but i don't get right as block as such like i just kind of keep at it like i'll just even if it's a bit like nonsense and it'll never really make the page or um, the, the sort of stage or TV or anything. I just sort of think I'll just write it. And I don't, like, you know, for, fortunately, there haven't been kind of lengthy periods where I've really just felt I don't really have an idea that I want to kind of do or there's not something I want to explore with this kind of character or idea or something. So I kind of, I've always, I've always been able to kind of come up with goods. I mean, and then it's obviously maybe arguably the the, the most important part of the craft is then, actually then fine-tuning that and taking what you've done, whether it's the ideas or the jokes and making them better and mm. testing them out and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, but the the kind of the front line side, that kind of just, just sitting at your computer and just sort of... I mean, I write cold a lot of the time, you know, I won't even know what I'm going to write. Um, Is that what you mean by, by writing cold? You'll just, you'll just start I'll writing just start. something? So I'll have like... Um, so it'll just be like a one sentence, like... Uh, so I think I had a, a, one sentence thing was just like Miss Swallow doing ice bucket challenge. I think it was just a, at the time of when that was current. Mm. <laughs> um, so I won't be doing it. Yeah, you may have missed the boat. <laughs> but, but, but and I just and I never performed it. I just but I did write like two sides about him talking about it. Um, just because I sort of thought, well, I want to. I kind of want to write that, and I just sort of felt, oh, I just sort of see. And I didn't know what any of the jokes were going to be before I'd written it. I just sort of thought, well, there's the character and the idea. Um, of something a subject matter and uh, just sort of see what happens really and that's kind of true for the Edinburgh shows in, in a lot of respects I mean Dracula was sort of different because I knew I had to sort of tell the story of Dracula and kind of do the kind of um, the noises off kind of thing in terms of their relationships that they have to sort of start off and then kind of fall out and then it all gets back together at the end so 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 I kind of, so from a structure point of view, I kind of I could sort of it was a lot easier to kind of put things kind of step by step into a sort of certain sense of order. And I've, I've definitely struggled in the past with structure in some of the shows. I sort of that's been always the biggest task because I could write loads of material, but how I kind of 
make it work sort of structurally. That's always I find that I found that tricky in the past. I'm glad you have some problems. <laughs> I can no, just I write loads of material. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, but also the big qualified statement is that tons of it's not good and yes, it doesn't okay. even make the you know. But I can I can write. But you know, but but whether it's good or whether it's appropriate or you know, it's going but, but to lead to anything, I don't know. But I think what what we what I feel like I'm discovering about your your attitude to it is that that doesn't matter to you. You don't write something that then isn't going to be used and and go, oh god, I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? Like you, you seem, I, I suppose maybe you have very positive self talk. Like you, yeah, you don't find you're not you're not criticizing the work as you make it. You're just happy to churn it out and worry yeah, about. Yeah, at it. a certain stage. I mean, like I think there has to come a point where you then think, okay, I've got this stuff and I need to kind of fine tune it because otherwise it just sort of becomes a bit of a sort of sprawling. You know, because then there's a danger. I suppose if you were being efficient, you you kind of think, oh well, you know, this is a this is, where is this leading? Like it's got to like kind of lead to something, and so you might think, oh well, at this stage. But even like this morning, I'm doing research for a thing that I'm doing at the moment and um and I and I dug out notes on a subject matter uh um from 2011 and mm. it took me ages to find them actually it was like the biggest waste of time ever to try to find them but but I found them and there's like a few sentences in there that I think have sparked things and I find that useful you know so even if it's something that I think well it's some it's something it's a bit of dialogue or it's a an idea for a character or it's a uh, character talking about a particular subject you know I'll always save it and it will always you know yes. it will always be parked if it's not even used there's always a thing of kind of coming back to stuff I, I feel like this year I'm sifting efficiently for the first time I'm yeah. looking but I've done loads yeah. and loads of writing that hasn't yeah. amounted to much and then now that I've got some writing yeah. that has amounted to a bit much yeah. I do a bit more I'm able to look back and go, oh, actually, on those four... Yeah. I remember sitting there going, this yeah. is going nowhere. But yeah. in fact, that little... Yeah. That might be a joke, you know. That I found, weirdly, Twitter... And I don't tweet tons. I think I tweet... Well, maybe if there's a show on, I tweet more. But, like, usually I'll try and, like, do, like, a joke a day or something like, something mm. like that. And, and I've realised, actually, it's quite a good catalogue of just sort of silly ideas. Because inevitably, they're just nonsense or something silly. Or it's something I've just suddenly thought of. And I'll tweet it and... And um and actually I found that's actually quite a useful thing for going through yes. like old tweets and just sort of seeing um what I was finding funny or what what, what if there's a kind of a kernel of an idea in that. I found that useful sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I've like, a couple of times I've thought like I'll be I'll be like I have a big problem with memory, kind of going, yeah. what do I what you know, sitting down from cold going Oh, what's been going on in my life? I was yeah. like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. It's just something as stupid as looking back at my Facebook feed. If it was, oh, if it yeah, was enough, yeah. if it was worth yeah. me saying something yeah. about it at the time, yeah. you know, if I was worrying about whether or not I should buy a coffee pod machine, yeah, yeah. Oh, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and then, I, then sixty people went, "Don't yeah. do it," you know, various hippie yeah. friends yeah. <laughs> had a go at me. Then, it... but I don't know, <coughs> I don't know about you, but there's that for, for me. Like, if there's a truth, even if it's a tiny, tiny grain of truth in something. And it sort of then stems into something else. Like I find that really useful to know that there's there's a kind of just a, a like a bedrock of just sort of something that I can sort of like latch onto. I find that useful just to then write to then kind of write from, um, you know. So whether it's a character kind of that I kind of think oh it's it's sort of based on this this person, even if I don't know them, even if it's based on a someone on a reality TV show or just sort of something and it's never referenced, but it's just sort of a trait or something like that. If if there's something that I can sort of yeah, kind of is a bit more kind of tangible in my head, I can then sort of write usually a bit better. Mm. Than writing I suppose completely cold, so that's a bit misleading. Let's talk about some of the other projects that you've been doing because I know that you're uh well kind of in order. I know you had uh, Cordelia was another character of yours. Mm-hmm. 
Um, is she continuing? Was she a sort of stepping yeah. stone along the way? <laughs> I've um, I've just put in. Uh, well, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm basically kind of in the process of kind of pitching a multi-character, like a slightly long-form multi-charactery thing. Um, and uh, and she is one of those characters. And I would think, Mr. Swallow be one of those characters? Well, are you saving? No, him I think I'm saving him because I just don't know what to do with him yet. Okay, because just because of the nature of trying to kind of get that manicness across on telly, like, it's fine in a live environment. I think there's the charm kind of maybe just about kind of works there, but I think there's a danger it could just become very irritating. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. There's part of me that's worried a little bit that maybe the wave is changing. You know, these things the kind of shows that they commission and the kinds of things that I think do well kind of slightly come in ways like, you know, at the moment you can't get a sketch show out because sort of sketch shows, the commission's like, no, no, no sketch shows at the moment. But that'll come around again, you know, of okay, course it will. Okay. And I sort of And feel, is that, where, where are you, you're, you're dividing that information just from well, pitching stuff and having it turned down or, or hearing what no, other people... No, because I don't pitch that much actually at all. Um, in fact, this is the first thing I've pitched in years. I mean, apart from the project with Julia, but like, you know, that was a joint thing. So... Um, but I haven't pitched a solo thing since 2011, 12. So, so partly because I sort of just want to wait till the idea's right. But the thing I was saying with Mrs. Swallow is that, you know, Mrs. Brown's Boys and Miranda, like regardless of people's opinions on those shows, I think that um, there's clearly an appetite for them. Yes. But I do wonder whether... that, and, and, you know, there's the argument that Mr. Swallow could maybe sort of uh, adhere to the same kind of quite big character in the studio kind of environment, looks to camera or stuff to camera and audiences and all that kind of stuff. And whether... But I do wonder whether the wave is now turning. So actually, if I did try and go in with that kind of show, kind of some others do have them, but yes. Mr. Swallow, but actually people are like, no, you definitely miss the belt on that. Yes, you've got to catch it at the right time. I think you've got to kind of catch it too right. early. You're too visionary and it's yeah. not the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you're very lucky to get the commission. As soon as then, something, yeah. you know, go, oh, I'm going to do something about zombies. No, yeah. you can't do that anymore. And then obviously there was the thing about mockumentary. It was all mockumentary, yes. you know, following the office. And then it's all kind of apocalypsy things at the moment. Mm-hmm. And like, so, so it's kind of, so it's just about, and you know, I don't want to shoehorn my characters just into any old thing. So, so I am pitching a multi-character thing or p- piecing it together separate to Swallow, who I think could have his own show. You know, I think there's an idea for his own show somewhere. Um, but yeah, Cordelia is part of the kind of multi-character okay. universe. And it's less, and it's less of, I sort of see it as a bit more, it's less fully formed as well than someone like Swallow. And like deliberately so, like it's a, it's a very obvious kind of, char- I mean, it's quite a stock character to do the kind of slightly raw kind of yes. um, uh, you know posh you know I everyone was... you know Harry Enfield's in a posh kind of yes. studenty character you know tons of people have I mean Jermay the Chris Lilly character is you know a close bedfellow in that respect as in his is as in mine's close to his not the mm. other way I'm not suggesting for a second um, anything nasty <laughs> um, yeah. but you know so so for me that could sit more within a kind of a still kind of nuanced but kind of character sketch world as opposed to I wouldn't think I want to give her her own sitcom like yes I, I, I see what you mean like I just sort of think because I've got things to say which I sort of think are newish but they're only newish because I'll have a certain maybe different kind of tonal approach to it or something like that. I'm not really going to discover anything new about the kind of rich student who kind of goes to somewhere like Durham University and who wears a pashmina you know the kind of the broad brushstroke joke is done I could sort of add to it, I'm sure, bits and pieces, but it's not like a groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do you need? Does that form part of the process when you're coming up with a character? Do you ever find yourself going, well, maybe this has been covered? Oh, and if you do think, <coughs> do you then have to 
change it or back away from no, it? No, not the early set, not like a creation. Because if I find something funny or I feel I've got like a, a voice in inverted commas for something, and again, it's usually based on a truth, you know, it's like, um, so I will, no, I won't, um, I won't stop at that stage. But I would then, I would consider whether I, I, to take that sort of develop it into a pitch document or write a full 30 minute sitcom script because then I sort of think well you know do what do I have I mean and it could be that I would I would maybe write something and think oh I definitely don't have something or I definitely do and then maybe I would explore it further but for the time being those kinds of characters some of the more minor characters I've done in Edinburgh and on radio um I sort of I sort of would rather kind of pack them into a multi-character thing because it's slightly easier. You're, and it still has narrative and it's still long form than a character sketch show. It's not like three minutes, kind of a three minute a sketch uh, again and again and again. Um, but I, yeah. But but yeah, for me, like Swallow feels like a separate thing to those kinds of characters, I think. So the, the two more quick things to talk about before we wrap up. The, your show with Julia Davis. Tell me yes. where that is at the moment. I, you were chatting to Nick earlier <coughs> on, and uh, let, let's, let's reprise that, because so I'm fascinated by what a fixed good. rig means. Um, a fixed rig. Well, at the moment, we are on target for, I think we start production in September. So Julia's doing Hunderby at the moment. So I'm doing a lot of the writing. This um, is Morning Has right Broken. Now. Morning Has Broken, sorry, yeah. Which is a, so we shot a pilot last year. Um, so it's a kind of behind the scenes of morning television. Julia plays a kind of, uh, kind of Queen of the Nation type, sort of, you know, Lorraine Kelly type, not Lorraine Kelly, but a Lorraine Kelly type sort of uh, daytime TV presenter who appears very nice on the face, very kind of motherly, um, but actually behind the scenes is very kind of, you know, nasty and quite cruel and has lots of, uh, you know, a crumbling relationship and all these kinds of things that people don't know about her, but it's all starting to fall apart. She's kind of having a midlife crisis. And I play uh, Mike, who's sort of like the co-presenter, who is sort of starts off as kind of like the medical segment man who's on the, a show kind of on the show maybe twice a week but then kind of gets more and more airtime and sort of starts to tread on her toes a bit and they so they are friends and they sort of start to fall out but they've got to kind of maintain a on-screen relationship and stuff so it's um yeah I mean it's obviously been phenomenal getting to work with her because I'm big big fan <laughs> obviously sure. absolutely yeah uh, and uh yeah I mean it's just been really fun. I mean it's been a long process we kind of started off by improvising stuff um did you we, did you contact her did you did no she she, well we I'd improvised with her and Mark Wooten for a thing where Mark I think had contacted me and this was like three years ago and so I met her through that and then she got in contact and said oh we should develop something together and then it kind of went quiet because I think she went on to Hunderby that Hunderby had got commissioned and so that sort of took out I think a year, and I remember like thinking, oh, I don't think I could ever kind of contact her and say, so what, are we going to do this? <laughs> but, then, but then I remember she got in contact again, and I was like, oh, geez, I think, I think you know, we could, we could do this. So yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then we made it last, yeah, last summer, and we got the commission in November, I think it was. And what's that um, process like of writing commission. with her? You're in the room with her writing together, or what? Uh, we that... improvise it all. So, okay, gotcha, so we improvise, so we often multi-character occasionally to just get, we weren't multi-character in the show, and we don't in the show, but... Um, so to kind of get a lot of the kind of jokes. So we just do... So we kind of had a loose sort of story outline and we would then think of what those scenes are and then we would improvise those scenes and then they were transcribed. Someone had a huge job transcribing. Oh, wow. I know. And then we oh, would then... great to have someone do that for you. <laughs> you just play and then someone turns the script on. it's nuts, really. Um, and then we would edit uh, on paper and then kind of rewrite. So, so it was kind of... 
and then to be up to be honest then a lot on the day we were then improvising further so it's and then edit in the editing suite so so there's there's lots of stages but it kind of creates a kind of hopefully quite fresh kind of performance and uh yeah it's been really fun so yeah for the series we um yeah we're just sort of doing that time six and there's a big arc and stuff um but yeah exciting that's great and yeah. who's it what what channel is it being channel like? four okay channel four six half hours for channel four and so what does a fixed rig mean i just because i want to fixed rig. oh yeah so we're just thinking of different ways of filming it and i think what we're gonna do is um from what i've heard from the producers is that we're doing a thing fixed rig so programs like educating yorkshire and uh Magaluf weekender i suppose <laughs> i'm ashamed to i watch but it's good for character <laughs> yeah um, cool. it's where they kind of fix and it all looks a bit cctv at the moment, but the technology is kind of so great now that you can actually get really, really good cameras, which you can sort of fix. And so we're going to purpose-built sets and then rig cameras in, in lots of... So that basically, if we do improvise and it leads us to certain areas, everything is captured. So you're never thinking, oh, well, that's not lit, or we can't actually get around there with cameras or you're crossing the line. And that, So you could just go in and run around and play. Yeah, basically. and it means that we can we can also allow, if we suddenly think, oh, well, that could actually be a really good story idea. It means that we can then um, improvise something and then uh, carry on the story in a different room. And it, everything is all kind of pre-done. Kind of so it just kind of saves time a little bit um, and means that we can just sort of have fun. And so you, you you mentioned being in the editing suite. Yeah. And now, I know that you, from from seeing the Ready, Steady, Cook clip, <laughs> yeah. it's available on YouTube. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Um, so how good are you at editing? Are you in a sort of oh, UECK not, not position good. where you can make no, decisions not, about that? Or? Technically, no. I mean, I think I've probably got a reasonable eye for just knowing... But I'm sure anyone has, really, uh, with any kind of comic sort of sensibilities that, you know, in terms of leaving a certain amount of air at certain points or beats to kind of get the best out of a, a joke and stuff. But um, but no, I mean, we very much would sit in the editing suite together with the editor. And the editor was the guy, Gary Donner, who did, like, Thick of It and Veep and stuff. And so he was very much into kind of a kind of quick, a quicker version. And we, we actually, <laughs> we would slow it right, slow it right <laughs> So it's kind of somewhere between the two. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that you kind of learn progressively. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm good at it at all. I kind of, I could do a little thing on a Mac and make that maybe look all right. But but when it comes to kind of properly constructed narrative, I don't know if I'm that good. But I'll, But I could, it's more that I could probably tell where something's not right rather than I know how to fix it, which is probably yes. the most annoying thing to say to an editor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I think I could, could see how that would be useful. Yeah. And you're in a, in a movie as yeah. well. Yeah. It's about your movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid my research fails with this one. I remember seeing you on Chalkley. I'm in um, Ridley Scott's... Name drop! Uh, Ridley, <laughs> Ridley, Ridley Scott's new movie, The Martian... Which is out, I think, at Christmas, I believe. Um, and you're a sort of Houston ground control. Yeah, I'm kind of the head of communications at NASA. Just that little job there. Oh, uh, God. I mean, it was just bonkers. As in, like, it's just a rogue casting that happened to work out. I mean, it, you know, no one, at least how did me, you, was, expected Did that, they come to you? Know. What, how was it? Well, weirdly, the casting director did come and see Mr. Swallow the musical. And then I got the part sort of off the back of that, in that, that she kind of became... You need a like, roller skating... Yeah, (laughs) it is just this, you know, straight American part. I mean, it's slightly kind of dry sensey, but I mean, it's not comedy. It's a sci-fi thriller. So it's kind of um, very different from Mr. Swallow. But yeah, I got, it was just after Edinburgh, I got sort of asked to kind of come in and then 
Did you have one of those meetings where you don't read, you just chat and you... No, it was kind of, no, they get, they sent me the side, but it was, it was very much that kind of secret thing where it's like watermarked sides and, you know, yes. you, you, like even, I think my agent wasn't sent the script and stuff like that. They they were very kind of cloak and dagger about it. And then, and, and you know, I just, and, and I get probably two of those castings a year where it's for like a quite, something that I've heard of or mm. a big name or something like that. And I always sort of think, ah, you know, we won't amount to anything. And, but good for experience, always good to kind of do those things. And I'd had American accent lessons as well. So I just sort of thought, as in, I just wanted to kind of l- learn it sort of correctly because I, I thought I could do one and it turned out I could uh, and, and so I thought, oh, I'll go for lessons, and 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 it, and it all kind of coincided. So I sort of thought, oh well, it'll be a good opportunity to just try that out because I'd never auditioned in an American accent before, and uh, and so yeah, and then I got recalled for it, and then they do this kind of slightly weird thing where there's like an etiquette thing where you have to kind of accept the part before you've been offered it. So so then I got a call, like a really kind of cryptic call about my availability again, and then my agent said. Uh, Oh, now, just let you know, you're going to be presented... Because he wasn't there. He wasn't over in the UK. Uh, he was in the States still. And um, they're like, you're going to be presented to him, like, on tape. But if... And, and this is, like, the recall, recall tape. And, and, and they were like, if he says yes, then you have to do it. <laughs> it's, weird. it's like the Queen. Uh, so you have so to... So we're not going to present it unless you've said yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I got you, okay. Yeah, which is maybe fair enough, maybe. Yes, but it's just that thing of, like... So, it was, so I had to say, yes, I will do it. It's, before I even got it and so I was then really hopeful that because yeah, I would usually not think about casting in that way yes, I, I, I would usually not want to think I got it but then I had to go through this kind of thing where I had to sort of say sort of earmark the dates and say <laughs> yes I'll do it yeah but you know yeah it's nuts and then I went out so I was filming in Budapest um, uh, yeah it was just surreal I mean because everything's just bigger like as in who's the start, who's bigger. the lead of the Martian Matt Damon, Matt Damon Matt Damon and yeah I mean it's a it's a pretty starry cast in, in I mean because it's a really Scott film I mean I, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a have you read the book yeah it is a yeah. much loved book oh, people are yeah. really excited about oh man it. I hope the film does alright if it does alright presumably somewhere in the I think it will thinking... I think it will because the book's so good and if the, and, 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 and the script is very true uh, you know, the screenplay is really true. In fact, did he he might have even co-written the screenplay. So okay. so I think, uh, or he's at least like associated with it in some way. So I think that, you know, Ridley Scott is visionary. So if visually it's correct, which obviously it will be, um, uh, yeah. And I can see Matt Damon doing that part, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was surreal, really. So if you had, if this mm. was five years from now, you, you, it's a hop, skip and a jump to Hollywood mm. and you're in demand for movies, what would be your, uh, what, uh, what would be your project that you'd want to make if people were coming and saying, we need a, we've got a Nick Mohammed vehicle here? Oh, really? I would want to play a villain, definitely. Would you? Oh, God, yeah. Bond villain? Oh, no, not some, no, no. Like, in like Harry Potter or something. Oh, nice. <laughs> like a kind of a, like a, like a, yeah, those kind of, Childhood adventure kind of y things I really Wizard like. Of Oz. I can yeah, see you. Yeah, <laughs> I can that, see you behind maybe, an organ. Yeah, <laughs> something. Yeah, creepy. Like, you know, Alan Rickman's part in Harry Potter. I mean, geez, you know. Yeah. Ah, uh, all those kind of like where you know you clearly know that they've just been like, we know who's we know who's going to deliver <laughs> on, on this character. I'd love that. Yeah. If if uh, but then I don't know because maybe it'd be a bit against type. If I you know I've never been offered baddie parts <laughs> in anything, so I don't know. But yeah. I'd love to do... I mean, it was... It did make me think, oh, geez, I'd love to do another thing like this. Just because 
I mean, I was like, especially because I come from like a science background, like I, all the science of it, and I'd loved the book anyway. Yes. Like, so I loved all that. And I'd done an Edinburgh show about the moon only a few years ago. Oh, God, like, of course, so, yes. I kind of, so I love all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I was doing just, an Edinburgh was, show about the moon, that's almost like the turning up to the Wild West audition wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, yeah. Can't and so, do, can't yeah do I did, I did mention it. But, like, but when I was there, I just wanted to play with everything. You know, so it was, it was, it was very fun. It was really fun. But yeah. It's IMAX 3D uh, in December. Oh my god! Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. So he always had you. 3D. He always had 3D glasses on, and he's 77. Okay. So you know, nice pink chicken. But he was on it. He was on it, and I had. Uh, yeah, it was. It was just. It was completely bonkers. But I did like it. I did like it. Did you find the next time you walked into it? When, when did you shoot this last year? Uh, November, December last year. November, December. So have you yet walked into like a? you know, a uh, London Studios soundstage and gone, oh, it's a bit small. <laughs> no, because no, very much my stock and trade is doing little gigs at, like, <laughs> the dots. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's good to kind of experience those different things. But, I mean, it is it is a different world. in the, And I'm not necessarily saying it's a better one, It's but it's different. And there's, you know, there's so many more people than, you know, because if you work on a sitcom... You know, the costume department is like one person, two people maximum. And then this is just like teams of kind of people, like sub-departments. So it's, it becomes quite impersonal, actually. So I, th- so I reckon, I presume, unless you're a big star, where you could maybe just bring people with you, <laughs> like an entourage, or you're kind of maybe treated slightly differently or something like that. Uh, other than that, it's, it's, it was a big impersonal experience because I was in a foreign country. I kind of flown in. Costumes, oh, literally flown in, picked up, given a phone, like you're just given a phone and a script. <laughs> and I arrived. Uh, it's quite, and it's like, we'll text you. And then... And Leave then, your phone on. Yeah, no one like... really... No, Yeah, well, kind of. It's like, yeah. Well, they did want to fly. I remember, because I was about to get married. I was getting married like a few weeks after. And, um, and we had like an appointment that we kind of couldn't change because it would have like, you know, it just would have impacted on stuff. And they were like, no, we've got to fly you out today. And, and they weren't meant to. And I wasn't even contracted to be flown out. But they're like, no, we've got to fly you out now. And they like phoned in the morning, like, we've got to fly you out now. And I was like, I mean, I, I, mean, I just can't. And, uh, and they actually had to reshoot that scene. Oh, my God. Yeah. With no you in it. With no, they, they, but then they reshot it at the end. They did shoot it without me in it because they were like, we could maybe get away with you not being in it. Because they didn't speak in it. It was, it was actually the, the final, one of the final scenes at the very climax of the film I won't give anything yeah, away thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the climax of the film when maybe or maybe not this astronaut who's stranded on Mars is rescued and you don't know which way it's going to go it's the big kind of tent scene in Mission Control and everyone is kind of like looking at their monitors and I'm kind of on the head thing and I've got, I'm typing away and, uh, and they wanted to do that big kind of like sweeping shot and, uh, and they just did it in real time. It was really weird. They just said, okay, we're just going to run for like 20 minutes and we're just going to shout to you when key moments happen, which you can hear uh, is happening with the spacecraft that's trying to get him and all these kinds of things. And you have to look kind of tense all the way through. And I remember finding that quite funny because I was like, <laughs> is my tense face going to be too much? Battling like, your comic instance. Well, it was a bit because I was like, is it just funny that we're all like looking like, Raw? <laughs> Oh, how's this going to play out for 20 minutes? Um, but yeah, they they shot me out of it. And then they were like, oh no, we're going to have to shoot again with you. So then they shot me in it, but it was it was fine. And he, and, and actually that was my last scene that I then did. And then I went home. And so, yeah. Give us your phone back, get on the plane. It was honestly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was fun. Finally, I do, yes. I'm in the habit of asking my guests, what uh, what would be your final message to comedy? Like to, to new comics? 
Oh, a lot gosh. of new comics listen to this. There'll be people who are uh, who are sketch comics or want to be sketch comics. Who yeah. I, and I know that there's I know there's more now, but there certainly aren't the opportunities, the nights necessarily. No, no, that there would be for a stand up. Yes, yeah. What would be your advice to someone starting out in character comedy? All I would say is, I mean, you'll have tons of people who said this is just probably gig, just gig as much as you can, and it is difficult to kind of get on nights and stuff but if there's any way that you can put on your own night and even if you pack it out with friends and do it once a month or you know I'm not as much as that even but like the good thing I felt about um when I was doing when I was at Cambridge was that the Footlights did these things called Smokers which are just sort of fortnightly kind of review shows and it was just an hour and, and everyone who was in Footlight could just sort of take part I think you had to audition in front of the committee but most people got on and it was like an hour an hour and a half show of everyone just doing three minutes and there were every two weeks in, in term and it just kind of forced you to just write a new skit kind of every two weeks I mean you know we're students so it's kind of easier but um uh, you know, to sort of find the time and do that kind of thing. And there was obviously an audience for it and there was a theatre and stuff. But if there's any way that you can just kind of commit to kind of just writing as much... I think if you're I think if you're just starting out, I know that for me, only really now do I feel I've kind of found, say, Mr Swallow's voice. And that's taken, you know, that's taken 10 years of kind of sort of gigging and sort of reshaping. And, it, you know, the kind of... the 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 essence of the character was was always I think there from the start. Nothing's really kind of changed about him in that kind of way. But um, but just kind of I think becoming learning to become confident in in your instincts of what you would cut and what you wouldn't and how you would develop something I think can only it can't be taught. I don't personally I don't think it can be taught. You can probably read lots of good things and listen to lots of good advice, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't you can't. Um, I, I think you have to you have to just kind of do it. And it's such a kind of psychological barrier, I think, writing something and then just trying it out and then sort of guessing based on reactions or based on whether you like it or your friends like it, but, but trying to make as informed decisions as you can in the early stages and kind of honing your kind of craft. And I think the only way to really kind of develop your voice and also for you to then know that you really want to do it because it just takes so long and to find to feel that you've got something original to say to add to the kind of comedy world i think that's what i kind of switch off at a little bit if i just don't feel if i feel something's just a bit flat because i feel either it's kind of been done before or that it doesn't really feel as if it's saying much new by i'm not saying by any standards that mr swallow is saying some big message or anything like that but just finding a just a fun way of kind of presenting whatever it is you want to say that kind of just feels unique to you or, or something like that. Right, right, you know, I, I feel that always takes a lot of time. And I think that the only way to be able to do that is just through writing and gigging. But where, I mean, where these gigs are, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it is tough because it's quite saturated, I think, in terms of, but, you know, I suppose if there's any way of setting up your own night, even if it's kind of in the back room of the pub or, you know, anything like that, you know, some of the best stuff kind of is sort of forged in those kinds of environments, I think. And, yeah. Is that original? Is that an original thing to say? Probably not. Is that what everyone says? I'm just going to leave you hanging <laughs> and do the music. <laughs> so that was Nick. Thank you to him for coming along. Thank you very much, as ever, to my co-producer, Nathan Wood, uh, who's doing sterling work on all of our behalves. Uh, and also, remember, you can follow at Nick Mohammed on Twitter. He's, he's very funny. He's got a very distinct Twitter voice. Um, so you can do that. You can follow me at ComComPod or email me 
info at comedianscomedian.com if you would like to suggest a guest or ask me any questions, suggest questions you would like me to ask for any of my forthcoming guests, uh, or of course, uh, if you would just like to tell me that you're one of the the 15 or whoever the, the group are, I don't know what the number is, I, 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 th- I think it's roughly 15 in my head, uh, if you're someone who has started as a direct result of this podcast, I would love to be able to keep tabs on you and watch you gradually make your way towards playing the O2 and booking me as your support act. So um, feel free to get in touch and anything else, donate at comedianscomedian.com. We know that by now. Many of you are. Someone reminded me recently um, of the system I used. Remember, because I know a lot of you drive or run or bathe whilst listening to this show, um, if you and you're not in a position to donate any money. So remember, any any key, I think, what did we use? The indent key, the arrow pointing at a pointing from left to right at a little wall that's on the left of your keyboard. Next time you're about to press the indent key, just think to yourself... Oh, oh, I must remember to uh, push some cash in the direction of an arrow towards the wall of the comedian's comedian. That's terrible. I should have thought of one of these in advance. It was rubbish. Sorry. Um, but uh, when you see the indent key, send your money to me. I'll work on a better rhyme as well. Um, that's all of that. And finally, of course, uh, if you do want to uh, press some hashtag dirty cash into my hand, uh, then just make sure you either don't speak at all or say something cool. Current leaderboard is buy yourself an ice cream. Feel free to be creative in your own way. And I look forward to receiving those uh, from you. Thanks for listening. Back next week with now. What order should we do this in? Because I had Ian Stone uh, round to the I mean, it's the flat, isn't it? Obviously, like Marin, it'd be great to call it the Cat Ranch or something like that. At the moment, it's the Bland Kitchen. Um, I uh, had Ian Stone round yesterday, and that was a scorching episode. Uh, That one, I think, will be next week's, and then we'll hear from Mitch and then Mark Watson after that. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. (laughs) 